Hello and welcome back to Two Idiots One Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Bailey. And Bailey, before we start today, I want to ask you a question. Okay, what's up, brother? Have you ever been hospitalized? Actually, yes. So one time when I was in like first grade, I had pneumonia Uh and it was during uh, Christmas break, which we had like two weeks off of school or a week off of school between like the 24th and the 1st. 24th and the 1st, okay. Or something like that. It might have been like the 23rd through the 2nd, I'm unsure. It was the it was the, the Christmas winter break. Exactly. Okay, I got you. During this period of time, like the day the break started, I started feeling sick. So I went to the doctor like multiple times, and the doctor was just like, "Oh, there's nothing wrong with him. It's the flu, whatever." And after probably going to the doctor three times, my mom took me to the hospital or the emergency room because I was like profusely vomiting, couldn't keep water down. That is disgusting. It was really gross. Apparently, I had pneumonia. I didn't know that when you had pneumonia, you threw up. I didn't either, but apparently it was like super high level pneumonia and I was like unbelievably dehydrated, which is why I was hospitalized for like a week and a half. Because you were dehydrated. Okay. So mine's not that extreme. Okay. I just broke my femur and had to be hospitalized, which if you've never broken your femur before, it's, it's not good. What, what kind of like, what goes into breaking a femur? Like I know it's a leg bone, but like how exactly did you break it? So I wasn't wearing my seatbelt because I was, you know, too cool to wear seatbelts or whatever. So a guy pulls out in front of me and I I don't like T-bone him. I like hit him and he wasn't wearing his seatbelt either. He got the extent of it. It was only going 45 miles an hour, which was the speed limit. Um, but instead of being ejected through my windshield, the steering wheel caught my leg and snapped my femur in half. So my femur snapping is what saved me from going through the windshield. Because I feel like if I had went through the windshield, it would have been like a thousand times worse. And I would have been seriously hospitalized. Because I was only hospitalized for uh, like four days, I think, in order to do surgery and everything. They got me in like the next day. And that was terrible. Because have you ever had surgery before? Um, I had like throat surgery when I was little. But I don't remember it because I was like two or three. So one thing that I told them to do because they had been, you know, transporting me from place to place and your femur breaking is terrible. So my leg was kind of just plopping everywhere and it really hurt. So I told them, I'm like, before you plop me on that table, knock me out. And I went to sleep and I woke up in a completely different area. I didn't even know I went to sleep. It was kind of terrifying, but I woke up and I was all by myself in a room where I had no idea what was going on. That sounds absolutely terrifying. It was. I mean, you wake up and you're like, I don't know what's going on. There were things attached to me. Um, And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm trying to gather my wits about me because I I don't know anything. The last thing I remember was having a conversation with a surgeon, I guess, or a doctor. I don't even know who it was. Um, And then they injected me with something because I I told them to do it. Um, And I just woke up by myself. So when you woke up, did you have any, like, mental recognition of time passing? Like, was it 28 days later? I I don't think it was 28 days later. I want to say that it was, like, three, four hours later. Um, That's not nearly as impressive. No, it's not nearly as impressive. But it felt like 28 days later. It felt like a month had gone by because a month could have gone by and they could have been lying to me because I was on some, oh, sorry, I'm, like. That's okay. You have one of those internal internal things going on i was having to having to burp and then went to it like directly into the microphone so i was trying to talk but yeah i feel that 
But that reminds me of our movie today, Waking Up in a Hospital, unsure of the amount of time that's passed. Oh, I love that movie, Waking Up in a Hospital. It's such a good movie. Who's who's in Waking Up in a Hospital? Well, it depends on what version of Waking Up in a Hospital you're talking about because it's a pretty common trope. It's a pr- what do you mean? I mean, so there are a lot of movies, specifically zombie movies, that feature the protagonist waking up in a hospital. Are they waking up 28 days later? No, I'm pretty sure that only happens in today's movie, which is 28 days later. What? Yeah. All right, Bailey, who is the writer and director of this one? So it was written by Danny Boyle, and the writer was Alex Garland. Fun fact. Before we get into this... um. I looked up a thing because one thing that I know people are going to ask is this a zombie movie because we'll, we'll explain the premise, but a lot of people do not view this as a zombie movie. But if you ask Alex Garland, the dude who wrote it, 100% is a zombie movie. It's always meant to be a zombie movie. I guess I could understand the argument about it not being a zombie movie. Right. Which a lot of people think it's not, but I mean, I would call it a zombie movie. No, 100% is. But it's just like the recent Godzilla. I wouldn't call it a Godzilla movie because it has a lot of human drama. And this has a lot of human drama not directly related to the zombies, just shitty people. So because it has shitty people in it, did you give it a shitty score? No, I actually scored this pretty high. Really? Yeah, I'm I'm probably going to give this like a 4.5. I think this is probably the best horror zombie movie that I've seen. I like it more than like, you know, Day of the Dead, mm-hmm. Dawn of the Dead, uh, any of the other, you know, quote unquote serious zombie movies. This is probably my favorite. So this is my favorite. Um, this will be my first five out of five. Ooh. Like I, I love this movie. It is my favorite zombie movie. Um, when you talk about high quality zombie movies, the first three that come to my mind Obviously, is 28, 28 days later. Not to be confused with the sequel, 28 weeks later, which I got a story about that. Um, Night of the Living Dead, because that's what started it all. And the 2004 remake of Dawn of the Dead. I feel that. Like, those are the three that I immediately go to, um, because I wouldn't call Resident Evil a zombie movie. Well, interesting fact about Resident Evil, it actually has the same waking up in a hospital trope as this movie. The only difference is it happens at the end of the movie and in sequels rather than at the beginning. Okay, I did not know that. Yeah, I wouldn't know that because I don't watch those movies. Dude, they were actually pretty good. So it it really surprises me. Um, what, do you, what do you think Roger Ebert gave it? If I had to guess, um, and this is purely based on like, it had the film had like a grainy quality because of like when and where it was shot, mm-hmm. and some of the cuts are unconventional. And that's just Danny Boyle. No, I mean like I, that's his style. I recognize that, and I love Danny Boyle. I do too. But because because of the uh, non typical cuts, and because of the like, you know, the poor film quality. Mm-hmm. Not that it's a poor film; it's a phenomenal film. Um, I would say he probably gave it like a two, two or three. Gave it a four. Oh. Gave it a four out of five. I guess I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Now, RogerEbert.com has this as a four out of five or on the Roger Ebert scale, a uh, three out of four. four. So, yeah, that's what he gave it, which was really surprising. Yeah. Um, But you you mentioned the the film quality. So, in my research, um, it was meant to be like that. Oh, I mean... 
because of the year it released, it was a tw- 2003 film. Correct? Okay, so that so Danny Boyle wanted it to look well. Him and Alex Garland both talked about it. They wanted it to look grainy, and I forgot what kind of camera that they used, but they used an older model of camera um, to get that graininess because they wanted it to almost be like you are a survivor and you are watching this through the survivor's eyes. So it would be a little bit grainy. It's not going to be super high quality. Uh, they kind of almost wanted it to be like a found footage type thing. So that's why it was shot the way it was. So, see, I didn't know that, but I assumed that it was a directorial choice because mm-hmm. like I said, it's a 2003 film and the quality is more like early 90s sitcom. Yes, no, the which I wish I could remember is like CX something, I think is what it was, the cameras. I have no idea. Unfortunately, I didn't look into the equipment they used. I did because I just, I wanted, because I, I figured you were going to say something about that because I said something about it the first time I watched it. Um, so I had to do like a little deep dive into it. Yeah, I mean, I assumed it was a directorial choice. I didn't know if it was, you know, that or if it was like they wanted to save a little bit of their budget for like other stuff. Well, so uh, funny enough, the really cool thing about this movie is the choice that they made to basically bring in people who were unknown at the time. I think there's only like two people who we wouldn't know because they're British people or whatever. Um, but Cillian Murphy was unknown at this time and he became big. Yeah, he went on to do... Um quite a few good things one thing that i want to specifically mention that he's was in is red eye red eye was good when i first saw it i was like 12 mm-hmm. probably 10 between 10 and 12 and i was like super terrified of it for some reason like it being on a plane for a majority of it oh i was okay. like that's the scariest place for something bad to happen because your options are to stay with the scary or jump out and die I can I can go with that. Yeah, that was like my ten or twelve year old brain's thoughts, and I was like, "Oh, this is terrifying, just like snakes on a plane." Oh yeah, unnecessarily scary when I was little. It's a comedy now. Right. Okay. Yeah, I can I can see where you're looking at it from, but I mean, the thing that I associated with him was uh, Peaky Blinders. Peaky Blinders is also really good. I think that's where he does like his best, but it was just you know using unknown people and, um, oh, who was it? Uh. Man, uh, I can't remember his name. Obi Wan, Obi Wan Kenobi. Uh, uh, Ian, you McGregor, you yeah. McGregor, um, was actually offered the role of Jim, and had a falling out with Danny Boyle, uh, so that's why he wasn't in this movie. Um, obviously, they reconciled with um. Oh, that one movie, um, you showed me the second. Oh, um, because he's like the main guy in it. Starts yeah, with uh, train spotting. Train spotting. Too. Yeah, I'm sorry. So they reconciled with that, obviously, but I don't know why that one blanked. No, I have no idea. But train spotting is another Danny Boyle movie. The second one is also a Danny Boyle movie, and they're both really good. They're also shot very, very similar with the weird cuts and edits. Yeah, but that's what makes. But I think that adds a lot to this movie um, because of the panic. Yeah. In, in this movie, the way the cuts and stuff occur, it makes it to where it seems really high-paced and really, like, high-tension, and, like, it adds a lot to the to the scary factor, especially if you're, like, alone watching it in the dark. So we, we completely forgot to tell everybody what this is. 
So I'll I'll do my with like the like the summary of what it is for the people that haven't seen it. I'm assuming that you have if you're listening to this podcast. But just in case you haven't and you're like, man, I really want to check out you know Taylor's favorite zombie movie of all time. Um, it is about uh, I'm not gonna do like a five. I'll, I'll, I'll do my five cent summary after. Okay. Um, but it's gonna be about a guy who wakes up in a hospital and Jim played by Cillian Murphy and there is a virus that is going on called the rage virus which in 28 days has basically taken over all of Britain and there are only a few remaining survivors left and Jim is basically fighting for his life it is a it is a movie focused on the survivors exactly so a five sentence summary would be um Cillian Murphy naked. Yeah, you get to see man dick. Oh, yeah, we, we will definitely get into that one. Don't you worry. I got a whole segment on that one. Um, Cillian Murphy naked uh, coming in through the window. Got in my eye. We need you to breed. And bang, bang, bang. That's how I do it. So that's a little different than how I would do like a quick summary. I've actually been practicing for this oh, movie. You have? I just wing it every time. So it's wake up in a hospital, run around a city confused while awesome music's playing, repent, the end is fucking, or extremely fucking nigh, which is a quote from the movie, finding friends, saving friends. I think yours was a happier version. Mine's a lot less specific. Yours, is, Yeah, mine, mine is, but I, all my five-sentence summaries are specific parts about it yeah so well yeah um with, with that out of the way let's get into what you liked and you didn't like so before we start with like getting into because we usually talk about scenes and stuff first which i do have a scene i want to talk about but the very first thing i want to mention is the music in this movie because the music during not the opening scene but like i guess it would be the introductory scene after jim wakes up in the hospital and he's walking through the city Yes. The music that's playing is super good, and there were two or three other times throughout the movie where it was just, like, not panning shots, but, like, kind of, like, super wide shots that's just giving you, like, a general vibe. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And the music that's playing during those scenes really fits the tone of the movie and helps set, like, your emotional expectations for where you should be. So I agree 100% with that, and I think the two places that it really shines for me are the beginning, when he's waking up in the hospital confused, yep. and the very end of the movie. Yep. No, I think no. that those are, the, those are the two distinct places that I can 100% say I felt something because of the music, and obviously what was going on, but the music just amplified it. Absolutely. Could not agree more. Yeah, no, that score was just... Uh, really really impressive I'm kind of embarrassed because generally like I write down the director and who it was written by because like I feel that they're the most important people mm -hmm. but in this one I feel like I did a disservice to the composer because I didn't write them down yeah no whoever whoever the composer is for this one um, it was they did a phenomenal job absolutely phenomenal if they did any which I'm assuming they probably did other works and i will be checking into that one because that's one of the things that really rates this higher for me because most zombie movies don't have don't have that score and that you know empowering moving music that's accompanying this horrific ordeal that's going on which i think is what one of the reasons why this stands out 
Yeah, it elevates it, in my opinion, as well. Yeah, it makes it elevated horror, doesn't it? Well, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't call it elevated <laughs> horror. Oh, it is definitely elevated horror. But it's it's really good. I really enjoy the music. I think they did a very, very good job. So uh, so what's your, what's your first scene you want to talk about? So my favorite scene in the whole movie is actually the beginning scene when he's wandering the city. Like, I don't know what it is about it. It, it kind of reminds me of, like, do you remember seeing pandemic photos when the pandemic first started, like, completely abandoned cities because mm-hmm. everyone was inside? Like, it might be because the pandemic just happened, like, two years ago. Right. And, like, those images are fresh in my mind. But when he was walking through the city, and this is the first time I've seen it since the pandemic started, mm-hmm. but my brain immediately associated with that. And because it was, you know, it shows prior to it should wake him him waking up in the hospital it shows like the virus getting out so yes. you know it's a virus they just talked about the virus and then it's a probably like what a four or five minute segment of him walking through the city okay so fun fact the virus that they do the rage virus um comes from monkeys right it is based off of the aids virus ironically enough i didn't know that um, well, I watched the, because DVDs are great, so I was watching the special features on it, and one of the things that they talk about is how um, the, the the virus that they have in monkeys that, when it's transmitted to us, becomes the AIDS virus. That was their inspiration from this. It does something similar and has mutated, which I thought was also really ironic because we just went through a pandemic where it was um, the mutation of bats. Likely. Believed to be. Believed to be. Allegedly. Yeah. We aren't doctors. We can't definitively say. Based off of what the internet has said, (laughs) it was either made by China to kill us all, or it came from bats. Or, if you believe, South Park came from a pangolin. I mean, the pangolin makes the most sense to me. Oh, yeah. Randy Marsh did it. Yeah. I mean, you can realistically, most of the world's problems, you can blame on Randy Marsh. Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. Especially since he doubles as Lord. Lord, 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 Lord. I am Lord. <laughs> but yeah, no, so um, the, the, the intro scene with him waking up, because obviously the first scene is PETA um, being PETA. Yeah. Which it wasn't PETA, but I'm going to say it was PETA. Cause it was an unnamed animal rights uh, activist group. So PETA. Um, that break in... And the doctor specifically, so here's the thing that gets me is like the doctor specifically says, you know, they've been infected with rage and he goes, shut your fucking mouth. He's like, no, they're not. And then he's like, just go ahead and release them. And you know what happens? They're infected with rage. They're infected with rage. (laughs) Everybody fucking dies. And I'm like, dude, you're, you're such an idiot. But no, the opening scenes that you said it reminded you of like the opening shots of the pandemic. Yeah. Well, it reminded me of like the photos I was seeing on Facebook and like videos of like cities being quote-unquote reclaimed like when the dolphins went back to like uh spain i think oh yeah like it just reminded me of that like so i had like really weird like it hit me emotionally because of the pandemic i think not like super like crying or anything right or it was very you know i felt something and i usually don't feel anything when i'm watching movies so i think that that was a very powerful scene so I thought that whole opening scene where he wakes up and up until the point where he gets to the church was very reminiscent of like an early 1990s, early 2000s horror video game because I felt I felt like that that was the emotion that I got of it and it's always been that emotion. Um, it's like when you wake up in Silent Hill. Or, 
or in like Resident Evil 2 when you're no longer in the mansion. Right. Yeah, I feel that when you're wandering Raccoon City. I definitely feel that. And you, you don't know what's going on and you're trying to piece everything together. You're looking at it and you're like, okay, well, obviously there's nobody here, but what is going on? I don't know. Is there anybody here? And then he he meets the... Uh, so I want to say one of my... So you... you want to talk about the church scene because you had the end is fucking nigh. So, I mean, I, I do want to talk about that one. I wasn't, I was going to let you do one and I was going to like flip flop it. Oh no, go ahead. Cause I have stuff I want to talk about too. Okay. So I really, I also want to talk about the church scene because I think that it's really cool because this is your first interaction with zombies other than the, you know, two minute intro with the animal activist group freeing the rage monkeys, which the way that that is shot is extremely chaotic and you don't quite know what's going on like you know that she has the beating red eyes yeah and that's it exactly but this is the first time that you can like see like individual examples of how it affects people so uh jim walks into this church and as he's walking up the stairs you can see on spray painted in bright red letters behind him is repent the end is extremely fucking nigh and then he walks in and gets attacked by a priest the fact that when the priest attacks him, he's like, oh, no, I'm going to hell for this. I'm so sorry. I'm not I'm not trying to, like, be abusive towards you. I'm just trying to defend myself because you're, like, clearly attacking me. I don't want to hit you. Exactly. And, I, and then he apologizes when he knocks him down. He's like, I'm so sorry, Father. Exactly. And I think that that's really good because it shows, like, a dichotomy almost between him and the group of survivors that he finds that are just, like, super hardcore, like, nah. They aren't people anymore. They're infected. Fuck them. And Jim's just like, well, no, I'm a good guy. And, you know, I feel like the right thing to do because it plays a lot into morality. And this scene, like, opens up the morality for me because it shows or um, it shows like it's the first example of who he is as a person. And watching it change throughout the rest of the film is really it's really powerful for me. It's part of the reason why it's rated so high, because there's actual character development that makes sense. And it starts with this scene. No, no, it does, and I agree. And I was going to talk about, I was going to talk about that too. But um, one one thing I do want to mention about the church scene is when he walks in, and you see this mass pile of just corpse everywhere. Yeah, sitting and, in the pews and stuff. And the way that he just stares at it, I thought that was very, very well done and pretty powerful because this is his first. Because we don't know how long he's been out. Obviously, he's been out for a while, at least 28 days, but he could have been out longer than that. And this is his first time seeing what is going on. Because before this, he hadn't had any interaction with people, didn't see anything. So he sees this, and then hears the door. And then the priest bursts through the door, and he's trying to talk to him like a human. Yeah, Jim's just trying to have a conversation. Be like, Father, what's going on here? And he's twitching, convulsing. And then just starts running at him. So, and then, like you said, he apologized. And I think that that does play into a lot with morality. Um, especially when he's running and meets up with Selena. Exactly. Because the morality of Selena that's portrayed by her when you first meet her versus the morality Jim has already portrayed is very, very conflicting. Yes. And I think that adds, like... I don't know, it adds an emotional element that I wasn't, or that I wouldn't anticipate from a zombie movie. 
No, it does, and it adds that layer of character development and complexity to it because you have two people that are morally opposed and you can you can see it in the scene where so but before i get into that though um one thing that i thought was was really funny and this is just remember this um she talks about how it had spread to new york there were cases in new york and stuff like that um just remember that but when you when you take Jim and Selena and put them together, Jim is very of the people, and Selena, what was the dude's name? Um, Mark, the guy that's with her, gets bit when they're because Jim doesn't believe his parents are dead, so they go to his house, and when they are attacked, he is bit, and he immediately says, "Wait, it's okay," and then she grabs a machete and just goes to town on him yeah just doesn't immediately th- ends up yeah does not think about it and then she says um one thing that i really really liked um because he asks you know why did you do that and then she says if you ever turn like that i will do that to you quicker than a heartbeat right like she does not care if you are showing any any rage you are dead to me right so and and to watch her develop throughout the rest of the movie, especially knowing that she's this, I've been alone for all this time, um, and and I think the reason because Mark talks about how his he was with his sister at like a train station I think, and then she got taken and trampled. Yeah, and I think um, her backstory that was written in was she walked in on her brother like eating her parents, and had to kill her little brother or something. Um, they made a whole backstory for her that wasn't originally there. Okay. And that's why she is the way she is. Well, I mean, it's definitely believable. Like, well, that because they have morality in a lot of zombie movies. The reason the morality is elevated in this one, in my opinion, is because it's believable and complex. Yes, I agree. So I, I was unaware of her backstory because it wasn't articulated in the movie and I didn't see it online. No, it was it was to do like after, um, it was something that they kind of came up with after the movie or during the movie. It doesn't matter technically. I think she just wanted a backstory because Jim has a backstory of you know he was uh, delivering something, got bike hit. Courier. Yeah, he was a bike courier, got hit, and that's the last thing he remembers. Then he wakes up and the world's kind of shit. Yeah, basically. And so he has he has a backstory and she didn't, but don't think it matters. Because it really comes into fruition when they are running. And one scene that I just loved was the staircase scene where they're running up there. And he is screaming at her. To slow down. To slow down. Do not leave me. Yeah. And she is not paying attention to him. She is in, you know, fight or flight mode. This is my survival. You're slowing me down. Fuck you. I'm going. Exactly. And I think that. Early on, those interactions are super important because of the way that her way that both of their characters develop towards the end. Right. As we're talking about character development, I'm just giving specific examples of when it really shines. Right. So um, once they get to the top of the stairs and they're with the family, unfortunately, I can't remember the dude's name. Oh, don't worry. That is Frank. Frank. It is Frank and his Hannah. daughter Hannah. Yeah, I knew Hannah. So when he meets up with Frank and Hannah, 
and or when Selena, f- when he, when Jim and Selena meet up with Frank and Hannah, it is an it's more telling of their morality because Jim's like, oh well, they might quote unquote slow us down, but we still need to bring them with us because we survive better together. And Selena's just like, nope, absolutely not. They're too slow. He's old. She's young. No. Well, she says, and I, I believe that the quote is, they need us more than we need them. Exactly. So right there, line is drawn in the sand. Jim says, we need to help these people. She says, Selena says, no, we need to help ourselves. Like, and, you know, I don't, I don't know what I would do in that situation. No, I mean, it's impossible to say. Because the amount of trauma and emotional damage that they've likely received from having to kill potentially people they know, like if her backstory is correct and mm-hmm. she had to kill her little brother, stuff like that is likely very damaging for the psyche, I would imagine. Well, and then another one of those really powerful scenes is when Frank is fighting off the infected and they're banging and screaming on the door to Hannah, let us in. And she says, where's Frank? And she will not budge until he has dispatched both of the infected and says, go ahead and open it. Yeah. I was like, okay, so obviously this has happened before. Yeah. Um, And she's terrified. And she is terrified. She's acting like any 14-year-old girl would in that situation. Exactly. My dad's not here. Strangers are screaming to open the door. Not going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen to you. Like, what's going to happen if I let you in? So, is there any more? About that scene you want to talk about? About that one specifically, no. Because I think the other thing in there is the radio transmission. Oh, yeah. Which is what sets them off on this journey, which is pretty much the rest of the movie, is this radio transmission. Where they hear a recording that is being broadcast by the military uh, saying, come to this location, you know, we have supplies, we can help you, blah, blah, blah. We have the solution to the infected. That was it. And the solution to the infected is here. We got it. Um, you know, and then it like fades out. And restarts. And restarts. Yep. And Selena doesn't want to do it. Yep, she's like, it's a recording. Might not be real. They might not be there anymore. They could all be dead. It could be a trap. What are you doing? I didn't mean to. I accidentally undid my pocket. Oh, that's okay. We can just edit that out. Not that, but we'll edit this conversation <laughs> out. <laughs> but yeah, she says that, and then he says, well, what if there is a cure? And Jim is like, okay, we need to do this. And so they set off on this adventure, and the next one I want to talk about is the tunnel scene. The tunnel scene? So I have a question. Yeah. Which you can correct me if I'm wrong. Did that happen before or after the gas station? Because I feel like that was after the gas station. And the gas station scene is important. I think it happened before. but the ga- Because the gas station scene is very, very important. Um, I just don't remember the order. Because I feel like it was gas station tunnel. It was uh, No, it was tunnel and then gas station. Because after the gas station, they go to the army base, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's when... Yeah. Okay, well, I'm sorry. And tunnel so, scene, because I don't have anything specifically for that one. That so I the only thing about. I want to talk about in the tunnel scene is um, the tension that that scene builds, because everybody knows that it's a bad idea that they're going over and on top of these cars, and then he pops a wheel, and they have to change it very quickly when you see these rats 
come in there and everybody's like, ew, that's disgusting. But then they, but I think it's like Selena that hears it and says, we got to go now. They're running from the infected. And it's this, you know, constant, like, lift the whole thing up. Hurry, Hannah, do it. Um, very stress-inducing. So I would actually say that that's probably the single scariest scene involving zombies. Yes. In the movie. It is. It It is. So ironically enough, they actually had permission to shut down, like, a highway for, I think, like, 40 minutes or something. Um, where the cops with, like, direct traffic so they could use that tunnel scene. And I believe they only have like a minute of footage because I think that's how long that scene goes. That's wild. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, it's it's just, it is one of those things where the atmosphere is very, very tense, claustrophobic because of where it takes place. I think everything works very well together. Um, and also, hard fact, um, they used athletes for the zombies. That makes sense. They'd be sprinting real fast. Because they're they're sprinting fast and they wanted someone that would have the endurance to be able to do it because the way that uh, Danny Boyle thinks is that athletes are superhumans. So that was why. But now we can talk about the gas station because I do want to talk about this one because it is very important. So I feel like the gas station is where we see Jim uh, not break from his morality, but where we see him go from like a completely lawful good if we're using D&D terms. He starts like questioning. Well, starts questioning and then does something that based on previous statements he's made he appeared to be against because um, if you haven't seen the movie or you aren't entirely sure what specific scene we're talking about, he goes into a gas station because their vehicle runs out of gas and they're stealing it from a truck. Are they stealing it if it's like an apocalypse? Well, I mean, regardless of what terminology I'm using, they're taking it out of a vehicle. Um, But he walks into the gas station, and there's a child zombie, and he fucks that child zombie up. Without hesitation, like the the kid drops down um, from the rafters or whatever and then starts running towards him, and he just... um, I, I think I have it in my notes as, fuck that kid. Yeah, basically. Because, like, he just turns around, and the the part that really got to me... Was it the dead baby? What? No. <laughs> I mean, that was a little messed up, but when he, when he walks out, and Selena's like, did you find anything? And he goes, no. And she's like, well, did you, did you, did you really find anything? And he goes, let's, let's go. We have to go now. Because he's so upset about what he had to do, and that will play later on. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's... I think that that scene showing him breaking his morality is a perfect foreshadowing of the way the movie plays out. Yes, I think that 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 scene right there sets up the rest of the movie because of the foreshadowing, like you said, with morality. Exactly. Um, So then what happens is they get in the car and they find this army base that is deserted. And Frank gets so incredibly mad at a crow that is on a body that he hits it in a drop of blood goes into his eye. And this drop of blood causes him to become infected. And that was a powerful scene. Oh yeah. Because it's just like, Oh, one of your party members is now infected. And Hannah's like, Oh no, not my dad. And Selena's like, fuck. Well, he's like, like Frank's shoving her away. You know, like he even starts it out with, you know, Hannah, I love you. And then she tries to get close to him, and he's like, get the fuck away, bitch. Get the fuck away, and, like, shoves her. Yeah. And then starts going crazy, and that's when Selena says, Jim, kill him. 
and Jim even hesitates because the army pops up out of the bushes and just obliterates him. But we're going to pause real quick because there was a alternate ending. So there's like four alternate endings for this movie. So, so I've, four endings. I've only seen one of the alternate endings, and it was the. Well, hold on. We don't we don't talk about that because this is like the super radical ending, is what they called it. Okay. And they didn't shoot it. It was something that they were playing with. It was in the DVD commentary. It was really really cool. Um, but they were they were playing around with the ending. So. What if the army never shows up? Okay. Instead of... So what what happens in this ending? Was we'll, we'll talk about this ending now, and I'll just run through it quickly. Jim gets knocked out. They realize where they're at is the animal testing facility, where it was originally happened. They go inside, put him in a room, and they find a guy who has isolated and sealed himself off. And they're talking to him, and he says, The cure is here. And they go back and forth about it. Um, and he's like, you need to fuck off. I'm reading. And just goes back to reading. Like, he doesn't let him in or anything. And Jim sits there and just talks with him constantly, just trying to annoy him to where he'll do something. He doesn't. Um, and eventually what happens is you we have uh, Frank tied up. And he's slowly losing himself, getting worse. And Hannah just starts crying. So... Jim brings him and says, you know, Henry, because he gives him different names, because he won't tell him what his name is, but he says, Henry, I want you to meet Hannah. Her father is in there. If there is a cure, you need to let me know now. And he says, blood transfusion. And he's like, what? And he goes, blood transfusion. If you transfuse blood, and I'm not talking about a pint, two pints, I'm talking about the entire body into another person, switch the clean blood for the infected blood because it's in the blood then that'll be your cure so what ends up happening is um jim sacrifices himself and the ending is him and frank frank are getting a blood transfusion while they're fighting off an infection or the infected are uh, attacking at the same time they fight them off and Frank is cured, and then the final scene is Frank, Hannah, and Selena walking into the area with with the guy. Like he opens the door and welcomes him in, and then Jim is strapped down onto the table with the monitors, like in the beginning of the movie with the monkey, and they pop on and show him like being infected. So why do you think they scrapped that? Uh, probably because a, a full body blood transfusion doesn't make sense. Correct. They figured out that their solution to it didn't make sense because they had clearly defined that a drop of blood in the eye is enough to infect somebody. Is enough to infect somebody. So a full blood transfusion wouldn't work. No. So they, they scrapped it, but they went through and read everything. Like they had the whole thing wrote out and we're going to shoot it and then said, oh, we can't do this. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, if they had done that, then I would probably give this like a two because that would be really dumb. No, the ending that they went with, which I prefer the alternate ending um, than the theatrical ending, but that's okay. I'm not sure which is which. I know which ending I saw, but I'll wait until we get there before I say because because the point at which the the two endings that I know. Which is technically three. So the two that I know, the split is as they are driving away after. Uh, okay, after you see the good ending free. or the bad ending? I'll call it that one. 
so yes, I would I would wager that there's good ending and bad ending because I saw an ending where Jim dies in a hospital. Oh, so you saw the bad ending, which is the one and, that I prefer. And then I saw the ending where they've got this like little home and they've tailored a flag that says hello, or not a flag, but like they've tailored some kind of like big clothing thing that says hello to red or to a uh, flag down planes. So there's two versions of that one. We'll, we'll get to that though. Um, so we'll talk about the actual endings now. All right, we'll come back in. I just wanted, because I thought the radical alternate ending was cool to talk about. Dude, that's super wild. I didn't know that such a thing existed. Yeah, and it's literally uh, Danny Boyle and Alex Garland, like, talking and reading the lines and everything, going, yeah, this, this is why this doesn't work, but it was a cool idea. Um, so the military shows up. They take them back to the compound, and everything is all, like, hunky-dory. And you have a squad of men. What? You're looking at me. Well, well no, I was, I was just going to... I was going to disagree with hunky-dory. No, everything's like hunky-dory because they have a fortress, basically. They have people stationed. They have ammo. And one of the things that Major West does is he keeps one of his men. And he has him chained up in, like, the... It's not even, like, the back room, like, the like garden. courtyard area. Yeah, courtyard garden area that they hang their, their sheets to dry. And they have him chained up. And he says, he's going to tell me everything that I need to know. And he goes, well, how much has he told you? And he goes, oh, quite a lot. But the main thing that he's going to tell me is how long it takes for them to starve to death. So he's there. So the whole point of him having him there is to monitor him to see when the infection will eventually die off because all the infected are dead. Right. That makes sense. But this is also foreshadowing. Yeah, super foreshadowing. Um, but everything's like, you know, hunky-dory, and they're all sitting down. The chef guy makes a feast that they talk about being terrible because the eggs were raw or spoiled. Rot. Yeah, rotten. spoiled. Yeah, rotten. I don't know why I said raw. Obviously, all eggs are raw. <laughs> um, but then their alarm is triggered, and they all jump up. So I want to talk about one thing before this. Okay. So right when they first arrive, Jim and Selena are talking. And this shows a softening of Selena's uh, person, which it shows that she now has, like, almost a motherly instinct for Hannah. Because her and Jim are now the primary. Because Hannah's messed up. Yeah, she's very emotionally distraught at her father's death. I believe they're talking, so I'll jump a little bit ahead, and then we'll, we'll circle back. But one thing that you can definitely see that she's emotionally distraught is when they're all at the dinner scene and he's talking about all the infected out there. And she goes, I just want to bury my dad. He's one of those infected people that you keep talking about. Yeah. But we'll go back to Selena softening because I do think that that is really important. So, yeah, I mean, basically all the scene is is um, Jim and Selena talking and Selena talking how we have to protect Hannah. You know, she's clearly distraught. She needs, like, us to protect her. And it just shows her go from being, it's all about me, I must survive, fuck everybody else, to crap, now I have to care for this child. Well, and she starts developing feelings, feelings for Jim, too. Yeah. Which you see them almost have, like, hate sex, I guess is what you would call it. <laughs> um, and then she's, like, really upset about it. But they have the dinner scene everybody jumps up and then what happens is like this is what sets up the rest of the movie is one of the guards soldiers whatever you want to call him uh ends up i'm gonna call him mr rapey ends up um 
looking at Selena. Selena. Well, he doesn't like come on to Selena. He basically says, I'm going to have my way with you. And then Jim and this other guy who is a part of the military. But, I mean, even Major West asks him, like, why did you join? You don't seem like a person. Are you talking about the spiritual sergeant? Yes. I think that's how they refer to him, right? Yes, because they hate him. Yeah. Because he is. So one thing that he says when, okay, so basically what happens is Major West says to, oh, what's his name? Jim, totally blank there. He says, we made that radio broadcast because I promised these men that we would find women. Because their whole plan was to trick people to come in and they are basically going to repopulate. They are going, so their sole mission is to start civilization over again. And how do they need that? They need women, uh, basically, for breeding. That's all they care about. Basically, yeah. They want to basically have their way with them and make them pop out kids in order to repopulate. So, I mean, I guess I can kind of see the thought process there of wanting the world to go back to normal. But the way they went about it. Yeah, I mean, it it doesn't make, I mean, it makes sense because, like, in an end of the world scenario, I could, like, easily imagine there being whole camps of people with that mindset. Right. But, I mean, it's interesting because, like, the spiritual sergeant, Mm -hmm. um, he has, like, he's different than the rest of them. Because he's, like, I would consider him morally good, whereas the other people, because of the circumstances regarding the essential end of the world, they have gone from potentially being good people to, like, no longer caring about society or morality, and all they want to do is, you know, collect women and perform the booty bump. In in order to repopulate repopulate and make society whole again they want a society but i mean there are like seven of them so that's not like realistic no i mean obviously like i get the idea is good in theory of wanting to make the world whole again but the way they go about it is one million percent the wrong way to go and it's not logical so, because of the way they go about it, I would argue that they don't actually care about repopulation at all, and they're just using that as, like, a pretty excuse for doing wrong. Yes, I think that Major West is the one that wants, like, I really do think that his idea... Yeah, his vision isn't evil. No, I don't think, th- I think that he's, you know, like, that Machiavelli at all costs, but this is what has to be done. In order for this to happen, we must do this, which is, and he knows that it's wrong, but he's like, it's a necessary evil. Right. Where the other dude, well, basically everybody else, just wants to have sex and rape because that's what they want, and they're like, I can do that. Exactly. But um, one thing that ends up happening that was really kind of controversial was when the spiritual guy is locked up with Jim to the radiator. He starts talking about how there are other people in the world who don't know that this is going on, which is why I said, remember when Selena said that it was in New York and all these other cities? Right. So I don't think, I think that they don't know. I think that the whole point is they don't know because there might have been reports prior to the news going out because that's where Selena says she heard that it was in New York because she said, I heard it off news reports and stuff. And then the army dude or the UK equivalent of the army dude was like, 
you know, this is only happening here. They've abandoned us. We're on this island stuck by ourselves, and the rest of the world is like, oh, we're quarantining it to the island. But I don't know that he actually knows that. So, in writing, they originally wanted it to be worldwide, but halfway through they decided just to have Britain do it, which is confirmed in the second movie. Spoilers, that it's literally just Britain. So... So for okay. like so for for plot's sake, yes, I can see how I heard it on the news and it was just mass hysteria where it wasn't actually happening. Um, but actual writing wise, they kind of shifted the plan halfway through. So I have a question: Do you think that that line from Selena at the beginning of the movie when they first meet was her just like talking shit, trying to iterate or iterate is that the right word? Trying mm-hmm. to articulate to Jim that. There is no safety. This is it. This is all we've got. Or do you think that she actually believed that the rest of the world was doomed because she saw it in the news? I think it can go both ways. No, I mean, I think it could, too. I think based off of her character at that point, um, Jim, the like, what brings this up is Jim wants to go and see his family. Her family's dead. Uh, his, um, what is it, Mark's family's dead? Yeah. Why should you get to see your family? Fuck you. Everything is going to shit. Um, I can also see her being, you know, I heard it on the news, mass hysteria wasn't actually happening. I can, I can see that too. Yeah. No, I mean, I could see both being completely realistic. In fact, I could even see the news saying that the rest of the world, the world was infected, even if they knew they weren't, just because, you know, you can't trust the media. Right. Um, I would think that the military guy would know, though. Yeah, I mean, I would assume that he would actually have knowledge. Which is, and then once... The second movie happens, it's very obvious. Yeah. But I thought his his whole speech of there are people that do not know what is going on. They have quarantined us. We are just a fucking island. I, I thought was was very interesting to kind of think about that. Like there are people in like New, like New York or whatever that have no idea this is going on. They're living their life, eating their breakfast, hanging out with their families, and then all of this is happening in England. Well, I mean, I don't know. There are genocides happening in the world right now that a majority of society either A, is unaware of, or B, doesn't care. Well, so the the example that I'll use is Rwanda. Yeah, exactly. Was one of the key pieces in making this movie, because the whole movie is basically about um, everybody's existential fear of disease where it used to be war now it is the unseen killer whatever the next epidemic is happening that's kind of that's that's the whole point of the movie like basically this is a coronavirus yeah i mean no yeah that's what a lot of zombie movies or movies like that are well yeah because the first ever zombie movie was made for fear of radiation yeah that's what it was so but back to it where he says that um you want to talk about what happens next that was like really really good because oh are you talking about when jim was um when he tries to stop them from taking advantage of selena and hannah and gets abandoned yeah because i mean so basically just to like fill that in because what i want to talk about next is like the ending like that whole okay the whole whole scene um because basically they take him and you know sergeant spiritual out to a pile of mass graves which Fun fact about that, they didn't clean those up when they left. 
so there's just a bunch of like fake dead bodies out in the woods somewhere in the UK. Oh no, they cleaned it up after a woman was driving her car and found it and called the police because there was a giant mass grave that she thought she stumbled upon. And it turns out they were going to get to it. Um, they just kind of forgot about it until, you know, the, the police, police got, got called. Involved. That's funny. Yeah, so I thought that was funny. Um, but basically what happens is Jim escapes, plays dead, and goes full fucking Rambo. So this is this is the point in the movie where all morality is thrown out the window. It, you could argue, or you could go... Jim is going to have to do something evil, but is it necessarily evil because he's going to kill evil people? So I'm just going to go ahead and say it before we start talking about this. I personally morally disagree with what Jim did. However, I definitely recognize it as a valid response to the situation he was in. So I I think that... I think... I'm sorry. Well, no, because I I think that what he did was, like, like you said very valid and i think that was a natural thing because he cares for hannah and he loves selena so the fact that and and you can even see it in the scene where they're telling them to get dressed and trying to strip them of their clothing and she makes out with the guy and then tells hannah you know here's some value take like five of these and then she goes are you trying to kill me and she goes no of course not which make you not feel anything yeah but she's trying to kill her I really do think that she's trying to kill her in that one. I don't think so. What would you say? I I think that what she said is what she meant. She's trying to make it where she doesn't feel anything from what's going to happen and hopefully doesn't remember it either because I'm pretty confident at this point that she is still plotting her escape. So I took it as you're not going to feel anything when you die. Like these things are going to happen but you're going to be dead before it happens. Oh, so see, I don't know. Because she talked about being a chemist earlier, I feel like because she specifically mentioned I was a chemist. Mm -hmm. That's how she got the Valium. Yeah, exactly. But I feel like because she specifically mentioned that, that had she been trying to kill her, like had she been trying to drug Hannah to death, that she would have succeeded. And because Hannah didn't die from it, I feel like it was never intended to to kill her and that she was just planning her escape. Well, she didn't die from it because they get interrupted. I mean, that could also be argued, but I don't think she ever had intention to kill her with it. I think she got a couple down and the others fell on the floor because he comes in and grabs her hand before she can get all of them Get all of them in there. But later in the movie, she's clearly fucked up, so she took some. Yeah, but she definitely did. So when, when I say I disagree with Jim, specifically the part I'm talking about is releasing the zombie. And I think even releasing the zombie would have been fine had he already secured Hannah and Selena's safety. But because they were still in there and he released the zombie without having, like, knowledge of where they were, he's potentially killing them too. And that's why I disagree with his actions. Had he just gone in, murked murked all of the soldiers, or gone in, freed them, and then released the zombie, I would be like, okay, yeah, makes sense. But because he released the zombie when they were still in danger is where I'm like, oh, Jim, what the fuck, bro? So I think that the reason he did that was because he knew it would make it easier to get him. It would make it a ton easier, and he was not equipped. Like he's not a fighter, he's not a soldier. Um, he's smart, obviously, because of the way that he dispatches the first guy and takes his gun. But 
he knows that there are at least five other dudes in there that all have guns, all have military training, and he does not stand a chance. Right. So you have to kind of weigh your odds. Would it be better to shoot the zombie and release him and just have him go through because he's going to be able to sniff them out, find them, and kill them? Or would it be easier to just try to go all stealth mode and maybe succeed, maybe not succeed? I mean, so like I said, my issue with him releasing the zombie is 100% it puts Hannah and Selena in danger. Which it does. So him doing that without first securing their safety, to me, makes this more of a him going for revenge rather than... it. To me, it makes him eviler than, than I think his character should be. Because up to this point, his character is shown as a good guy. Mm-hmm. Which, granted, trauma, stress, and all that can make you do decisions... Or can make you make decisions you wouldn't generally make. But for me personally, I feel like his decision to release a zombie without freeing them first or at least ensuring that they were in a safe place is wrong for his character. And yes, I can I can see that because of the way that he was portrayed. And I do think that this was more revenge yeah. than anything else because I, I maybe in his mind things have already happened no i'm sure that's what it is like that's the only way i can justify the way he acted because he thinks something has already happened so now he's like how do i dispatch them in the most brutal way because one thing that he he does where he was very much revenge is when he is running into the room and you see the guy and he goes like uh, that has something wrong with his leg he's injured his leg somehow and he can't walk and he goes i don't have any bullets man you gotta help me and then the two infected are at the door trying to bust in and he goes you have got to fucking help me dude and then jim just runs opens up the window and slides out while he gets obliterated he knew that was going to happen oh yeah but he didn't care right and then he also you know bayonets a guy well bayonets a guy and then squeezes a guy's eyes out with his thumbs which was 100 percent that was rage quote unquote is all that was like rage induced well, he wasn't infected, though. Well, was it? Was it? Never mind. Oh, no. Okay, I got you. Because she thinks he's infected. Right, and he's like, oh, you hesitated for more than a heartbeat. More than a heartbeat. Um, but yeah, that one was... And like that whole scene where he comes in and demolishes this dude. I mean, he's 100% pissed off in full-on rage mode and gouges out his eyes to kill him. I was like, that's brutal. It's probably the most brutal scene in the whole movie. But that was also the dude who literally said to him, I'm going to start with the black one first. Yeah. So he knew, you got to kill this guy. Exactly. And he did not hide what he was doing. Um, But then, what's his name? Oh, Major West. I don't know why I can't remember that. Surprises them as they're getting in the car. He goes, you dispatched my whole team. Boom, and then shoots Jim. So this is my favorite kill in the whole movie. Oh, yeah. When uh, Hannah's driving the car, and it doesn't make sense. Like, the way it plays out is, like, super silly. Like, I think this is the only, like, super silly thing that happens throughout the whole movie. But it's cool. But but (laughs) what she does is she backs her car up to the entrance to the facility they just left, and a zombie, the original zombie that uh, Jim freed, busts out the back window and pulls the major out. Mm-hmm. And 
doesn't try to hop in the car with them, doesn't try to do anything, just pulls the major out so that they can drive away to safety, to quote-unquote safety. Well, he's he's got his meal. That's all he cared right. about. He was one of the T-bone steak. Right. Like I said, super silly, but so funny. Like, I actually laughed during this. Like, it broke the tension for me, and it was so, it was like, it was good. I liked it a lot. That scene breaks the tension, and then it ramps it up because, so here's where, where it diverges into yes. three separate endings. Okay. Um, so I'll go through the endings. You can tell me which one you watched. Um, so the first ending is they go into the hospital. She saves him and you think that he's dead, right? It's like this little fake out scene. Like the, the DVD copy that I have has the fake out scene where she goes, it's locked. And he goes, just fucking drive. And then it pauses. And then you see the screen go black and then 28 days later and I thought that was where it was going to end and I was like oh that's great it's a perfect ending um and then what ends up happening is he rushes through the hospital and she saves his life because he wakes up in this cottage and they're having this little family moment and then Hannah runs in and says he it's coming and they grab the o for the hello and put it out there and then start waving as the jet flies by and then Jim goes, uh, thinking they saw us this time. Yeah, I think they saw us this time. So that's one ending. And then there are two separate endings. The first one, which is the one that I prefer, is the first time I saw it, I think on IFC, this was the ending I saw, uh, was when they go into the. So the whole montage of what happens in the operating room at the hospital is basically what is like in this the scene this ending because he doesn't make it he dies and they're very visibly upset and hannah goes well what do we do now and she goes we have to survive we have to keep living so those are the two endings i've seen i don't know what the third ending is so the third ending because test audiences didn't like that ending apparently it sets up um hannah and selena to die is what they thought that they were walking to their deaths they filmed a separate ending, which is basically the same ending with the three of them, but this time Jim is not there, and it is just uh, Hannah and Selena in the cottage, and Selena is the one that turns around and goes, "Do you think he saw us this time?" So, so this is a I, I guess this is kind of a fun fact, but mm-hmm. it's more of just like an interesting happenstance. A hard fact. So. Um, when I was watching ending number two, where Jim dies. You mean the best ending? One of my uh, roommates was in the room with me, mm-hmm. and he hadn't seen any of the movie up until this point. He just saw, like, where the, the ending scene. split. And uh, after Jim's body is laying slumped, uh, and it shows Hannah and Selena go into the other room, there's an off-screen loud door closing. And my roommate who saw it with me was like, oh, fuck, did they just kill themselves? Because the door slamming does kind of sound like a gunshot, and I was like, no, I don't think so. And then it immediately shows them. That, that's why. Yeah. But, he, but like, to, to carry on with what you said, my roommate was in there with me and, and was like, that. oh, fuck. It was so funny because he was just like, they just killed themselves? Which, I mean, yeah, so that's really funny. Um, that you bring that up because now we can see really why test audiences didn't like that. But I personally like Jim dying. I think Jim dying makes more sense because this isn't a happy movie. 
you can no. tell throughout the movie that it's not supposed to be a happy movie. So the like bullshit happy ending like is fun. It makes me feel good, but like it doesn't appear based on the tone of the movie that it's what they wanted. No, and that's why Jim dying makes that sense. is the ending for me and that is what solidifies because like the happy ending's okay or whatever for the movie. Um, but I like the director's ending of So the her dying or Jim dying was the director's ending. That's how he wanted it to end. I mean, I don't know because it's labeled as like the theatrical ending is the one where Jim dies. Okay. But then, which means I must have like, I don't know, it's really confusing, but it makes more sense for Jim to die than anything because of like what you said, the tone and the way the story works. Yeah, it would make more sense for Jim to die. Yes, that. Boom. Dead. We're going on. Because he even says like, you know, in the alternate ending where he's dying, um, you'll have to carry on without me because he knows Yeah. This is it. And to me that gives much more of an impact. Um, and makes what he does at the end a little bit better, almost, you know, because he went and sacrificed himself for these two women. Exactly. It it solidifies his character. Yeah, it solidifies that he is a good person who is willing to go to whatever links to save the people that he loves and cares about. So that's why I like that ending more, but that's just me. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't. I think the ending I like the most is probably the happy ending where Jim lives mm-hmm. and they all go to the cottage. But the ending that makes most the most sense for the tone of the movie and like the direction of the movie is Jim dying. Like him living doesn't make sense in the context of the movie. No. So I so there's the good ending, the bad ending, uh, the good ending A, which is where they just tacked on her and uh, Selene and Hannah at the cottage. Right. And then there's the radical ending. Which radical was never ending. No. Yeah. But it was just something I found. And I was like, oh, dude, that's cool shit. That is very cool. So I thought I would talk about it because it makes you think about the direction a little bit better. But I really, I think the military was a really good touch. Yeah. No, I think that... Like I, like well like I said when you were talking about the radical ending, it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. So I'm glad they didn't go with it. Me too. But, but moving on. Moving on. What recommendations do you have for someone who likes this movie? And this move this was really hard for me because like there are a lot of other zombie movies. There are a lot of other movies where the military are bad guys. However, there aren't very many movies that feel the same way to me. No, and I I can't, I can't recommend. I mean, okay, obviously watch the sequel if you like this one. Yeah, that would be my first one. But I can't really recommend movies for this one because of that. And I think that this one just makes me feel a certain way. It's 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 one of those movies where if you watch a zombie movie, it's kind of just character focused on the survivors and all that. But it's not at the level that this is and the brutality that is in this movie well no for brutality i would say the sadness is probably a more brutal zombie movie than this so i would say like train to busan would be a good one um i haven't seen the sadness but i do you do you think the sadness would be on the same level as this so i mean it's it's a different type of movie because i would say I don't know. I have really strange feelings about the sadness. I want to do it sometime. Okay, I got to watch that then. It's in Mandarin, but it's hard because there are elements of the sadness that are really, really funny. 
and there aren't very many elements in this movie that are very funny other than when the general or general major gets pulled out of the window. Mm-hmm. Ma- major West. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I'll just go the cheaper out and say zombie movie. If you like zombie movies, check this one out. Um, any zombie video games, check those out. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I don't really have any good recommendations off this movie because I feel like it would be either cheating the movie I was recommending or I would be cheating this movie because of how unique this movie's tone is. Just my recommendations, watch the fucking movie. That's my recommendation. Yeah, and the sequel. And the sequel, yeah. Because, I mean, the sequel wasn't nearly as good, but I, I still like the sequel. Yeah, super solid. So I guess with that, we'll move on to Taylor Talk. Oh, shit. Which I really don't have anything because I've been trying to... So when we filmed Zombieland, or recorded, not filmed, um, you kind of brought up what I was going to talk about because the reason I picked these two movies was because one is a um, funny American comedy movie, and then this one is a very serious, um, disturbing British movie. And I was going to talk about, you know, like the cultural differences and stuff, but since we already, like touched on that in the last episode i don't want to rehash it i'm sorry it's okay um it kind of just happened and i was like shit um so yeah i really don't have anything for taylor talk i guess we can just talk about whatever i don't know how was your day my day was okay i uh i woke up and then i watched uh death comedy jam oh yeah and then i came to record the podcast and that's been all I've done today. I've been up for maybe four and a half hours. Uh, I guess we can talk about Elden Ring. I've been like I mean, almost I done with that. I don't want to spoil Elden Ring for our viewers. We don't have viewers. We have a listeners. Or I guess they're viewing with their ears. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, Elden Ring was fun. If you guys haven't played Elden Ring. You should. It's fun if you like Souls games. Oh, so I was watching, so I, I guess we can talk about this, because you, you had talked about wanting to talk about, like, psychology stuff, you know? Well, it's just you have a psychology degree, and okay, I feel just like... just because I have a psychology degree doesn't mean I know how to use it. Well, well I, mean, I do, I f- but... I feel like you would have better psychological insights than I would, because everything I know about psychology, I learned in high school or off YouTube, mm-hmm. and you have, like, legitimate first-hand classroom knowledge. Oh, okay. So, so since I have a psych degree, my my favorite professor, who I will not name, um, for obvious reasons, when I'm done with this, they were my absolute favorite. They could bullshit with me and would, you know, basically my level of humor and dry sarcasm or whatever. They would just give it right back to me, and it was great. Uh, I was a, you had a professor give it back to you. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> um, but when I was taking their abnormal psychology class they opened up with they knew btk like personally and that whole thing was very interesting you know who btk is that's actually what i was going to say it's the bind torture or bind bind torture and kill yeah uh, dennis raider Mm -hmm. wichita kansas yeah so i i'm actually very familiar with that because i grew up in kansas Oh, perfect. For any listeners who don't know, you should give like just a super quick rundown. Okay, so a super quick rundown is guy's name was Dennis Rader. He was a very godly, churchly man who loved his family and was very loved in the community. 
Um, but he had this dark secret where he would, you know, like bind, torture, and kill women. And without going into like the details, because I don't want to like, glorify him, you know, by saying this is what he did. But basically, what happened was he got very cocky and would put letters on a like I think it was a floppy disk at this point or like a CD or whatever. And he would write these these emails is what it was, and he would send them to these letters or emails to the police to kind of taunt them like the Zodiac Killer did. Uh, not as effectively. Very not effective because what happened was the emails that were being sent eventually got traced back to his church computer that he used to write all of them, and he was convicted. Uh, You can watch his conviction because I think he was convicted in like 2005. Um, I'm not sure, but I know that shortly after he was convicted, there was like a movie thing release about it mm-hmm. because I, uh, stayed the night over at one of my friend's houses and knew that it was like a serial killer from Kansas. So I rented it. Like I took my, or I had my mom take me to the, uh, blockbuster. It was, I think it was uh, movie gallery, yeah, family video it was movie gallery back then. It was between blockbuster and family video, but we went to movie gallery and rented it. And I took it over to my friend's house and, like, turned it on. And we were both, like, real young, like, 10, 11. Mm-hmm. And his dad walked in and was like, what the hell are you guys watching? And got really upset because it was, like, moderately graphic. But it was funny. Well, the interesting thing about him is you can watch it on YouTube because they recorded the entire jury thing. And you can just, because I don't remember how many he killed. It was kind of a large number. Um, but you can watch him go through and his facial expression does not change throughout the entire trial just stays this like if you really want to look at what a stone cold psychopath looks like his facial expressions are that's it because he doesn't care it's almost like he was you know touching himself to it because he had he had a lot of great pleasure in telling these people what he did to their daughters yeah, that's really fucked up, man. Well, yeah, but like the psychology behind that is what fascinates me. But anyway, um, my professor, doctor, doctor professor, uh, would always tell the story about how they were hanging out with Dennis Rader's younger brother because they were the same age, and Dennis was weird. The way that they described him was he was older, had a car. That's why we hung out with him. And ironically enough, the first couple of murders that he committed, she was hanging out with him during that time period. So, Hmm. it was like, what? That is wild. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, I I knew a professor who actually knew Dennis Rader and went to, like, his house and hung out with him and stuff like that. Because one of the things that they were always asked was, what was he like? weird kind of quiet we used him for his car didn't really talk to him because he was kind of older just gave us rides places that Mm. was it which goes into that like serial killers are just people yeah until you know they commit these atrocities yeah until they're killers until they're killers but i don't know my uh my my favorite serial killer and i wrote a, a a whole what was it person so i took a um personality course like psychology of personality and i wrote an entire paper over his personality uh but it's the co-ed killer edmund kemper yep 
over uh he, he was in Mindhunter, wasn't he? Like, yes. Like not him but a portrayal of him. Which the way that, that guy portrays him is literally how he was. I watched uh because if you go online you can actually find like Ed Kipner videos. Mm-hmm. And I watched a couple of those while watching Mindhunter immediately after because I heard someone say the exact same thing. Yeah, no, he he talks like he I mean his IQ was 145, 150. Like the dude was six foot nine, three hundred pounds, a genius. But because of the circumstances, and one thing that you'll figure out is when you look at the psychology of serial killers, um, most of them had an abusive childhood. Because like Edmund Kemper, who always wanted to be called Ed, didn't ever don't ever call him uh, Edmund, was a really nice guy and just didn't he didn't not so he liked women he just hated his mom yeah and once he killed his mom the everything stopped open yeah, well no he stopped killing did he yeah he literally killed his mom and then quit killing people he didn't have a desire to do it anymore well isn't that when he turned himself in because isn't he one of the ones that turned themselves in yeah and they thought he was joking yeah like the cops because he would go to a cop bar and everybody knew who ed was yeah, big he ed. went on he did ride-alongs with them he did ride-alongs with them he talked with them he was friends with them so when he fled i don't remember where he fled to um but he fled to a different state and called them off of payphone and like confessed they laughed at him and said ed quit joking man there's no way you could have you could have killed these you know 10 or whatever co-eds and then he starts giving details that only the killer would know about and they're like we need you to come in so he, he came in and like served his time, but he hated his mom so much and just took that anger and frustration out on, on women that would share characteristics, I guess, or, of, of his mother. And that's why, because he, he wanted to kill his mom and then just took it out on other people. If he had just killed his mom, never would have killed again. You think so? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Because he killed his uh, grandparents. Yeah. And did kill again because the urge to kill was his mother. He didn't kill his target, so he kept going after him. But when he killed his mom and her friend, because she was just there, and used her head, using his mom's head as a dartboard, done. He he even says, like, I didn't, didn't feel the urge to kill anymore. It was gone. Just released. And I think that's super interesting. That is very interesting. And I think that's why he's my favorite. Because you have people like Ted Bundy who are just impulsive liars and blame everything on, you know, porn. Yeah. Have you ever watched that interview? I don't think so. I haven't. I usually don't do, like, most of, like, the serial killer stuff. It's just, like... I mean, that's what got me into psychology was trying to figure out how they think. Because I never understood it. No, I mean, I don't understand it, but, like... I don't know. I'm not. I don't watch a lot of interviews and stuff. Like I do some with people that like I find interesting. Like Ed Gein, I'm pretty knowledgeable about. Mm-hmm. But that's because Ed Gein was one of the uh, one of the inspirations for Psycho, and also a really bad schizophrenic because he had a horrible childhood. Yeah. But no. Um. If you if you watch Ted Bundy's last interview before he is um, executed, he talks with a guy and basically manipulates the entire situation 
because he because the guy that he agrees to talk to had like a very firm stance on porn and said pornography is the devil's work it is terrible um so bundy used that as his advantage to get publicity and basically said yeah porn is what I, did it to me. Is what did it to me. And the hardcore porn mags that he was talking about did not exist around that time period. Oh, so he was like talking about like Hustler and Penthouse before there were Hustler and Penthouse? No, he was talking like violent bondage type stuff is what he found. Oh. And it was like, I mean, there were like drawings and stuff, but not really anything porn that you could just get not like today where you can just google it yeah so that was one thing that i i found very interesting um i don't know man serial killers and their whole psyche just amazes me that's what got me into psychology so i definitely feel that i don't know i mean i guess if anybody listening I, i guess if you're listening to this and you would like us to go into psychology i mean i can I can do that. We can do a, a separate bonus episode or like a psychology podcast. I don't know. Yeah, I don't really. care. Yeah. Just, you know, any any comments you have, you feel free to leave us a review on any major platform that allows reviews. Or yes. you can come to our Facebook group, which is just Two Idiots One Podcast with the same banner that we have on all of the streaming platforms other than Apple. For some weird reason, still has not been fixed, but that's okay. Yeah. But you can come on to the Facebook group and give us your opinions or if there are, like, recommendations for movies or, you know, Bailey's Babbles slash Taylor's Talks you want us to do. All you have to do is make a suggestion and we will definitely consider it. Yeah, not saying that we will do it, but we will consider. Definitely consider. But yeah, just uh, give us give us a shout. Come say hi. We're We're nice people, I think, for the most part. Pretty approachable. Yeah, we won't, you know put you on blast unless you say something real ignorant and even then we won't put you on blast we'll just laugh outside of the podcast to each other about it and you will never know yeah unless you're listening to this now going oh are they making fun of me usually not though no i don't know i think the only person we haven't really talked about anybody have we i don't think we've made fun of anyone yet no yet being the primary word oh i'm sure there'll be a time oh yeah i don't know i figured I figured more than anything, because, I mean, there have been people in the, in the group that have said some really funny things. Oh, dude. I mean, like, specifically Mata and Ethan. Yeah. I think, and I, I know I have laughed, and I, I didn't want to portray it with that, with, like, the Facebook thing, but because the way that I typed it, I was trying to be, like, you know, like, serious and professional about it, um, but outside of that, I laughed very, very hard because of their comments. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we have to be serious and professional in there. I think we should try to have fun with them. You're right. Because, like, when I see something funny, I toss a heart or a laugh emoji. Oh, I do the laughing emoji. And then I comment, and I'm like, hey, what up, homie? That was funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you have any suggestions, or if there's, like, a psychology topic that you want you want to know more about, the dark triad, or... Serial killers, Machiavellianism, the foot in the door tactic for, you know, social psychology, what, uh, how society works in general, because I do have a minor in sociology because those go like hand in hand. Just saying we can talk about cultural diversity and culturalisms and norms. I don't know, man. I'll talk about anything. 
I just like hearing myself talk. That's called narcissism. <laughs> but yeah, I guess uh, with that being said, is there anything else that you wanted to do? No, I think we're good. All right. Well, this has been Two Idiots, One Podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Bailey. Thank you very much for listening. Bye.